Would you like me to seduce you? That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, he walks in a mouth. Hey guys, welcome to the Celluloid Fiends Podcast. I'm your host, Mo Long. You can follow me at Mitchell C. Long on Twitter and Instagram. You can read my writing on film and a lot more at cupofmo.com. And as always, we really appreciate you listening. We'd also appreciate it if you went over to the iTunes store and left us a review and subscribed. As always, I got my wonderful co-host Gabe here in the studio. Hey, what's up, Celluloid Fiends? If you want to go ahead and Give us a like on Facebook, that would be great. And I'm really excited that tonight we have a special guest, one of my personal heroes, and someone that actually inspired me to start writing about film, Craig D. Lindsay. He's a film critic, pop culture journalist, and host of The Sour Hour. So I'll let him introduce himself a little more and tell the good people where they can follow him. Uh, yeah, this is Craig Lindsay. And, uh... I gotta say, hearing you refer to me as one of your personal heroes, don't know how to take that. Uh, especially considering where I am at this point, because I'm currently uh, broadcasting from an old folks' home that I'm living in. And uh, just, uh, I just, I'm just worried that just like I will definitely not live up to your expectations as a as a hero type person. I just want to make you know, don't want to, I just, you know, try and hope, hopefully I will not let you down, but, you know, just, we'll just see where the hour goes. Don't, uh, don't worry, you definitely won't let us down. When I said we're in the studio, we're actually sitting in my bedroom, which uh, also functions as part of my, quote, home office, so. <laughs> I assure you, Gabe and I have no expectations. <laughs> okay, well, just, just let you know, I'm just currently in a room right next to a, a, the person who, who kind of has dementia. But, uh, <laughs> other than that, uh, just, uh, you can catch me online, uh, at, uh, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, all the other social media stuff at, uh, Uncle Crizzle. And, uh, just, uh, you can, uh, you know, that show you mentioned, The Sour Hour, my weekly 60-minute cry for help. Uh, that is uh, on a KPFT HD2. Um, you can listen every Wednesday night, 9, 8 central. Uh, on the, yeah, on the, you can go on the, um, their, uh, their listening, you know, their live streaming page, which is uh, kpft.org slash listen. Or you can just wait until I drop the episode the next day on uh, mixcloud.com slash Uncle Frizzle. So, there it is. Just, by, all, by the way, Uncle Frizzle, all one word, U-N-C-L-E C-R-I-Z-Z-L-E. So. And he is well worth following. Uh, I, I'm a weekly Sour Hour listener and uh, follow Oh, so you, so you so you listen to it? I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know who the hell listens to it. I just do it and just I know I know five dudes I know listen to it mainly, but yeah, the rest of it I just I don't know. Just drop it out there and just maybe somebody will will, will pay attention to it. So. That's kind of how we are with the Stoic yeah, Fiends podcast. Exactly. Actually. Yeah. Uh, I know my mom listens. She'll text me and be like, "Great episode." Don't know what movie you're talking about, but you sound great. <laughs> My fiance listens to it work. She's like, "Oh, good job!" <laughs> wow, wow, you you got fiance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Somehow, magically, I found a woman. <laughs> yeah, you, you you live in larger than me, my friend. <laughs> got, got, got somebody will put up with your ass. That is, that is, that's beautiful. <laughs> it's very beautiful. I don't know how she yeah. does it either. <laughs> yeah, just 
Uh, I, like, I think like, Gabe Hazer. Like, <laughs> like, buy her some muffins after you go and the <laughs> uh, So, tonight, we're talking about Basquiat, and it debuted in 1996. Had a budget of $3.3 million and made about $3 million at the box office. Currently, it holds a 68% critic rating and 77% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So, for those who haven't seen this movie, Basquiat follows the titular artist Jean-Michel Basquiat's rise to fame in the art world and subsequent struggles with stardom. It was directed by Julian Schnabel and stars Jeffrey Wright, David Bowie, Dennis Hopper, Gary Oldman, Benicio Del Toro, Claire Forlani, and Michael Wincott. So... I picked this movie, and I discovered it just a few months before we recorded this episode when a friend suggested that I watch it, and I was just blown away by how under the radar this movie is. I'd never even heard of it before, and it's just an all-around impressive film, so I thought this would be fun to delve into. Uh, I know this was Gabe's first time watching the movie. Yes, this was my first time watching the movie, and actually, my first time hearing of the artist same here uh, but Craig you interviewed Jeffrey Wright when Basquiat came out yeah yeah I interviewed him 22 years ago at my mama house uh, yeah it was back in the good old days when uh, you know, he had he had one line going through the house and I just like you know I just grabbed like a cordless phone and uh, put my uh, tape recorder on a pillow and had, uh, like, the receiver, you know, receiver on one phone, just uh, listening, you know, making sure that the uh, tape recorder caught the conversation he and I were having. You know, this is, this was, you know, this is, you know, the way, this was a very ghetto way to get um, interviews back in the day for me. But, uh, yeah, yeah, because uh, uh, it was about to come. I, yeah, I seen the movie 22 years ago. And, uh, yeah, this is actually my, I think, my first professional year as a film critic. And um, the, uh, the, the people that were handling publicity for the movie, uh, they said, hey, you know, you want to you know, talk to uh, Jeffrey Wright about the movie and everything, and I said, okay, and, um, yeah, that, that ended up appearing in a very, um, in a very, uh, I don't have to say cheaply run, uh, African-American publication, which is, like, the stories I can tell you just about that publication alone, but I was trying to, you know, just, uh, do some interviews with people, and then also be the film critic for it, but you know, just so that was just a long ago artifact from my early days as a film critic, trying to figure out what the hell to do. That's really fascinating. And so you interviewed right before the film came out. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think yeah. Right before the film, I yeah, I caught a screening. I actually caught a screening uh, at the uh, Museum of Fine Arts here in Houston. And uh, here's a little side note. Ten years later, there would be a uh, Beats of Basquiat. Well, actually, uh, there was a Basquiat exhibit happening. There's like a traveling Basquiat exhibit. And the Museum of Fine Arts uh, had it there in like 2005, 2006. And uh, they, uh, to promote the um, exhibit, they, would ha- they were having this um, event uh, called Beats. Uh, of Basquiat or Beats by Basquiat on Saturday nights where they would open up the, the uh, museum and they would bring in uh, uh, special guest DJs and make it a whole big type of hip hop party thing and I remember I went there one night and it was you know uh, a very, a very a, a interesting memory because okay the Basquiat exhibit was happening and uh, Peanut Butter Wolf I don't know if you know that the DJ Peanut Butter Wolf from you know, Stone's Throw. And oh yeah, I saw he him at uh, Moonfest a few years back. He was phenomenal. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually interviewed him when he was there for, for Moonfest. But uh, yeah, but I he was uh, there playing that night. He was 
uh, spinning music upstairs where the boss got exhibit was, and downstairs in the uh, in the film auditorium, they were playing Purple Rain um, as the, uh, the 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 whole bossy out party was happening upstairs. So you just like it was just interesting. You could just go upstairs and check out Bossy Out and Peanut Butter Wolf, or go downstairs and watch Purple Rain <laughs> on thirty-five millimeters. So it was like a very interesting night to have. They should have brought on Morris Day in the time. They should have had them play. Alright, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Craig, what was your initial opinion when you first saw Basquiat? And how, like, what, what was the last time that you watched it uh, since then? Uh, well, I don't know if you two have done it. I think what I have to say about the movie. Uh, because, you know, I remember the first time I saw it, like, I knew there was stuff in it that was quite inaccurate because, like, that was one of the things that, you know, I, especially when you make a biopic about somebody, I, I know for me, try to figure out what's real and what's not, and I just like that was a thing trying to figure out who was real in the, mo- in the movie and who wasn't. And I guess we'll talk about great lens about which characters were <coughs> composites or. Uh, people who just weren't there, and uh, it's funny, especially considering, you know, seeing that, you know, it's been 22 years since I last saw the movie, and uh, just, you know, amassing all I know about Jean-Michel Basquiat by now, especially since earlier this year there was a documentary, I don't know if you uh, heard about the documentary, Boom For Real, which uh, Sarah Driver, Jim Jarmusch's uh significant other did about John Michel Basquiat. Just knowing, knowing all I know about John Michel Basquiat now, I just look at it now, and it's... Uh, well, one, I forgot how uh, how dull the movie is. Uh, just for me, just you know, very, just... Uh, you know, just like the whole thing was you know, kind of like a, a plotting experience where it's just like like I said, like if you knew John Mascal Basquiat in his life, you figured that it would just the movie would have a lot more uh, crackle to it, if you will, just like a tap because you know just he came from that that time where you know the downtown art scene and the uh, you know the hip hop scene and the graffiti scene was kind of uh, meeting and kind of having you know there's just like this this very cross-cultural thing that was happening at that time, and to see it not really happen in this movie, that it was kind of, you know, just, 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 you know, just, and also, just, can we just talk about the soundtrack real briefly, because it's like, I've just never, uh, just, just, just the fact that I've never, I don't know what John Michel Bacchia was listening to back then, but just, you know, I don't know if, if, you know, the Pogues and Tom Waits and all kinds of depressing-ass music was playing in his constant playlist, but just hearing that and just, I feel that it was less a movie about Jean-Michel Basquiat, more a movie about the director, Julian Schnabel, and just, it's, you know, it's seen it again. It just, it wasn't, it didn't feel as, uh, just, just, uh, uh, as, um, yeah, just, it, it, it took a lot, a lot for me to finish the whole damn thing. Let me just say that. Yeah, uh, I mean, objectively, I think the soundtrack has some uh, really solid tracks on it, but uh, I think you have a great point. And actually, it was. Uh, I think Brooks Adams wrote in uh, Art in America what you just said that the uh, film seems more like a huge self-portrait of Schnabel rather than Basquiat. Yeah. Yeah, because Basquiat didn't, uh, from what I tell, didn't give a shit about surfing. So why the hell there's all a bunch of shots about surfing, but apparently Julian Schnabel enjoys out of surfing and, and, and waves and stuff, so 
about him. And that was actually an element in the film that I thought kind of lent it a creative twist, but I disliked all the surfing imagery because I didn't think it was very concrete. Like, I couldn't yeah. quite tell what it was trying to say. Yeah, it, it, it didn't seem to mesh well with what was really going on in the scenario. I always felt like it was a little forced. And Gabe is the only one of the three of us that was watching this for the first time. What were your initial impressions? I'm going to be honest. I never heard of Jean-Michel Basquiat before I seen this film. I, I enjoyed the film for what it was. I went out and I looked after the film. I went out and I looked at some of his art online. And I was very impressed by his body of work. And, um... Actually, me and my fiance went to the art museum this weekend, and they had um, some books on him there too. And I, she, she bought one, and I'm just learning more about him. So it definitely got me interested more into a new artist that I had not heard about before. So in that respect, I think it did its job, even though it may have not portrayed it in the right way. It still got me interested in a person I may have not heard about before. So you just gonna keep bringing up you got a woman throughout the whole entire episode. Just, <laughs> just, hey, I I got a fiance. You know, later for you, lonely ass bastards. <laughs> you get get some get some baby oil and call it night up in here. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest Damn with it. you both. I think she. I think she's just pity marrying me. <laughs> hey, nothing. Hey, hey, nothing wrong with, with 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 pity sex. Let me tell you that. Just like you, if I if I could, if I could meet one girl who would just like, you know, just you know, be very uh, fortunate enough to get me some pity sex on the t- on the side, I'd be at least somewhat uh, happy about myself. But, Ladies, if you're listening. Craig's, yeah, Craig single. Craig's available. Yeah, yeah, yes, single. Just, of course, I'm single. I'm living in friggin' old folks' home. But other than that, uh, just uh, yeah, just. I mean, I'm glad that you're you uh, have gotten more into John Michelle Bastiat, and, 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 and as I'm saying, just uh, knowing so much about. I don't know if it's just more like you know being an African American and always having a you know, always uh, taking notice of African American artists, uh, especially during that time. Um, I know this. There isn't a lot, you know, you know, for a lot of people that may not know about him. This may be an eye-opening thing, but I just wish that if uh, you know, uh, Schnabel was was uh, just because I, I I get the see I get the sense that. He wanted to make more of a, of a of a movie that wasn't so much accurate as just a feeling of how an artist is when he's doing art stuff. And uh, I think he used uh, John Michel Basquiat for that. Just just his 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 uh, rise and of course his fall, his, his, his untimely passing. Just using that as an example, not so much. As delving into just basically what what he was going, uh, what what he was during that scene at that time, just just if you if you learn, if hopefully as you learn more about John uh, Michelle being gay, you can learn just how bustling the scene he came out of was, and how the movie in a way feels kind of uh, 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 just cut off from that. Because he wasn't the only guy coming up with inventive, uh, different, uh, subversive stuff back then. Oh, of course, there was a lot of um, a lot of people, even in different in music and art, they were all coming up during that time, especially in, in New York City. Like hip hop started to become more popular around that time in the, in the late seventies, early eighties. I know, definitely. Yeah, it was a there was a lot of innovation, which was kind of spawning then, and like you said, New York was kind of a hub 
for a lot of that. But like Gabe, I hadn't heard of the artist before watching this film. Uh, I was I was like six when the movie came out to carbon date myself a little bit. So I, oh really? You, you, you were you were six? <laughs> yeah. I was twenty. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> six, and let me just say on behalf of all the uh, old people out here, just to tell millennials y'all go fuck yourself. <laughs> just get off my lawn. <laughs> you. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, I'm an I'm an old soul, uh, so I got that. I got oh, <laughs> um, so I do think I, I I'd agree with Gabe's assessment. I think it was successful in its ability to kind of get the audience interested in the artist and kind of pursue some knowledge about Basquiat. Even though it may have not have been the best representation of what he was or what his life was like, it definitely piqued interest with me. And I hope it would do it with other people to learn more about him and, and any other artists. You know what I'm saying? I wish that some people would start getting more some more culture in their life. Yes. And I think part of the reason that this piqued my interest so much was the fact that it didn't seem to have, uh, for the most part at least, a lot of the over-dramatization that you'll see in other uh, biopics and kind of based on a true story movies. Like Argo, I think, is a great example where I enjoyed most of it, but some scenes were just way too over-dramatized. I also feel that there was another movie that came out about, I don't know, ten years ago that kind of it was a dramatic story, and it was a true life story, but I think Party Monster kind of over-dramatized a lot of things that happened during the club kids scene in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s in New York City. Well, I mean, I, well, I, I, I can't help but disagree there. I feel that a lot of the, the... There's still a lot of stuff in this particular film that is over-dramatized, and most is, uh, particularly the relationship between... Uh, uh, you know, Basquiat and his girlfriend, uh, played by Claire Ferdinand, because uh, you know, I, I guess it, we could say just that character did not exist, and just uh, just uh, you know, composites of many uh, girls he, he was with uh, back then, and just just to have this, um, uh, she's basically there to. Uh, serve as this as this this, uh, this anchor, this character that he wants to be with, but he keeps getting uh, pulled away to uh, to the uh, to the fame life or whatever, and he loses that, and just and just he loses that grip on reality or, or whatever, and just uh, I mean, there's like a lot. There's, se- there's several things in the movie where they just uh, just provide very uh, dramatic emphasis, if you will, and that's uh, that's one thing right there. Yes, and you mentioned the composite characters earlier, which is something I want to delve into a little bit, because immediately after watching the movie, I, I looked up some more about Basquiat, and I was very surprised when I learned that uh, Claire Forlani's character was a composite, as well as Benny, who was portrayed by Benicio Del Toro, who I thought uh, Del Toro did a great job in this, but I was just very shocked to learn that so many characters were composites. Well, well as I was saying, just like, it's, it's, it's less uh, very accurate for You know, it's funny, because I guess I should point this out now, just like, this is the second podcast I've done this weekend, where I talk about uh, a uh, Disney distributed uh, movie uh, from the 90s about a black artist and that other movie also had composite characters kind of to just uh, you know, just like kind of playing fast and loose with what actually happened back then so uh, just I, I, I always get this thing like especially during that time in the 90s when it came time to make true stories about uh, biopics about famous figures they just kind of uh, just uh, uh, I guess you know did it to, uh, just condensed everything 
and uh, made it is the, like we'll just turn these five six people into one person, and we'll just make it like they were there the, the whole time, and just and so I guess yeah, that's kind of basically that's the thing like just that this just sticks out for me. I mean, let, I mean, I don't know if we're gonna talk about Gary Oldman's character yet, but uh, that right there is a a, a major red flag in the how. Uh, this movie isn't really that uh, that much about being factual when it comes to John Michelle Basquiat's life. I want to get to that, but first, you said this was the um, second film that you, yeah. that you mentioned. What was the first? Uh, 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 What's Love Got to Do With It? Okay, I haven't seen that one. Oh, well, this yeah, I, I reviewed that for somebody else. I, I talked about that for somebody else's podcast, and that was kind of yeah. Just it's just been interesting. I've just done two podcasts this week weekend talking about the uh, movies about uh, uh, somewhat factual uh, movies biopics about uh, based on the lives of uh, talented black people. So now I want to get back to um, Gary Oldman's character. So that was actually Schnabel kind of inserting himself into the film. Yeah. And so you mentioned that was a red flag. Well, yeah, just because it's most, especially uh, the way the character kind of uh, serves as this. person who kind of uh, uh, near the end tries to uh, uh, get Basquiat to kind of uh, he, he, ser- he serves a purpose in Basquiat's journey somewhat it, throughout the movie he's kind of seen as this rival to Jean-Michel Basquiat and like his uh, and uh, he just pops up, and he's kind of a. And, and also, uh, if if it, if it wasn't that uh, obvious enough that Gary Oldman's character is based on Schnabel, in the movie he has he, he, he brings out the kid. The, his character brings out uh, his parents, who are played by Julian Schnabel's parents, and then later on brings. Uh, his daughter out, which is played by, I believe, Julie Schnabel's daughter. So it's just like he's really let you let you know that that character is based on him, and he's kind of and and of course, like near like of course, there's that scene where uh, I believe Milo, Gary Oldman's character, and Bastiat are, are hanging out at his place and. He keeps he's he's feeding them spaghetti, and he's telling them how, you know, you know what you're a talented person. And my favorite line in the, in the movie is what he says, which is basically, uh, "You're you know, a lot of your fans aren't even a lot, aren't even born yet," which is kind of like the Achilles heel of all artists looking to make something of themselves. Like it isn't until you're you're gone that a lot of your work is more appreciated. So, like he he is a he like a very uh, central character that he presents. He basically says like he presents himself, Julian Schnabel, as this very uh, pertinent figure in Jean Michel Basquiat's life. And Schnabel actually appeared as like a, a waiter in the film. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, this was like quite literally a Schnabel family film. Yeah. So, Gabe, you did not know that going in. Do you think that would have altered your impression of the film at all if you had that prior knowledge before watching it? A little bit. I feel that when a director goes that far to let you know that this is his piece of work, it kind of overshadows the subject matter in any film. But as I said before, I, I, I enjoyed the movie for what it was. And knowing that the director literally brought in his whole family 
for to shoot scenes for this movie. And I get it, he loves his family and, and he may love himself, but this I thought I think that maybe this movie could have been a little better if he would have taken a little more thought into it and not make this a love uh, if he didn't break his arm jacking himself off, so to say. That that that's beautiful, man. <laughs> that I love break his arm, jack himself off. I will I am stealing the hell out of that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gabe, did you have a favorite scene in the movie? Um, I just kind of enjoyed the scenes with him and and Warhol just painting together, and the conversations they had together. And I don't know if they were necessarily accurate, but I just felt that they were very entertaining and interesting to see. And I also enjoyed the scene where he went into the restaurant and sold <laughs> Andy Warhol like paintings for twenty uh-huh. bucks. But he actually, but actually, Andy Warhol's friend sold, gave <laughs> gave up the money for him. Bruno, who yeah. was probably a composite as well. Yes. No, no, that's that's apparently a real person. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like I said, like guys. You know, I spent considerable time trying to figure out who was real and who was not. Uh, so, Craig, what about you? Did you have a favorite or least favorite scene? Um, uh, just well, yeah. As the as you said, like the uh, the Bosgat uh, Warhol scenes uh, were very good. I mean, and also it seems that um, uh. Uh, David uh, Bowie played perhaps the most accurate portrayal of of uh, Andy Warhol um, because at least they hung out. And because um, I, I was wondering, uh, would we be uh, rating all the great uh, boss, all the great Andy Warhol performances that have happened throughout history, film history, on a? Because I believe there's five. Is that including Men in Black Three? Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was yeah. Bill Hader, I believe he did uh, Andy Warhol in uh, Men in Black Three, oh. and uh, you know, funny that same year, um, ninety six. I don't know if you heard of this movie. Uh, there was that movie I shot Andy Warhol. I do. I've not seen it, but I have heard of that movie. I haven't seen Lily- it. Yeah, Lily Taylor played the uh, feminist who did who, who shot Andy Warhol. I believe played by Jared Harris in that, in that movie. And uh, then there, there was also Factory Girl, with because uh, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, yeah, Andy Warhol was uh, played by uh, Guy Pierce, and uh, really Guy Pierce. Yeah, Guy Pierce and um, uh, who the Sienna Miller played uh, uh, Edie Sedgwick, and uh, let's and then let's not forget um, uh, Crispin Glover playing Andy Warhol in the Doors. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so I didn't know like if you like wanted to rate them all or just. Who your who your favorite Andy Warhol uh, uh, performances? I I have seen the Doors movie, and I have seen Basquiat, and I have seen Men in Black Three. Men in Black Three would probably have to be my least favorite. (laughs) That one was pretty bad. Sorry, Bill (laughs) Hader. And I would have to say, um, um, Crispin Glover as Andy Warhol in The Doors would probably have to be number two, and Basquiat and David Bowie as, as um, Andy Warhol would have to be my number one. I think he did a fantastic job. Yeah. I, I, would, I would agree with you right there that David Bowie probably did Warhol uh, the best. Yeah, just like even, even he was, him being an aloof character, he didn't seem to be uh, as. Uh, you know, self-centered, or uh, as as much of the other portrayals as had him, he's just like a guy who just uh, just just around trying to do art. Well, even if you watch video 
or anything with Andy Warhol, you'll see that he's a very aloof person. And I think yeah. they got that portrayal of him pretty well. When he said the even when he said the lines like, We should go to Pittsburgh. I kinda grew yeah. up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, um Bowie's performance as Warhol is easily my favorite. But I've only seen two the other one being Men in Black three. So that was a pretty poor performance. Uh, I'm guessing, Craig, would that be at the bottom of your list of the Warhol performances? Uh, uh I would have definitely, I, I don't know if I might go with the guy here's factory girl. Yeah. That, that might be at the bottom run, and then Bill Hader, and then Jared Harris, and then uh, Crispin Glover, then Bowie. So one of my favorite scenes was where Christopher Walken plays a journalist interviewing Basquiat. Yeah. And that, I thought there was a lot to unpack. Um, I think one one line that really stood out to me was when he says, do you look at yourself as a painter or a black painter? And uh, Basquiat replies, are you a writer or a white writer? Um, But there were a number of reasons that this really stuck out. Uh, One was... I know it, it, some of this drew on kind of media that was actually coming out at the time, uh, but also yeah. just like as a writer who has conducted interviews, and Craig, maybe you could talk about this as well, it kind of made me think about the journalist's importance in telling a story and kind of digging for answers versus drawing them out organically. Well, I can't. Uh, I kind of think that uh, Christopher Walken was mostly there because his wife cast the movie. <laughs> I guess it's hard to just, yeah, not to, to separate that. It's also just doing just like a, a very odd uh, scene to have in the middle of the movie just like, you know, like, holy crap, what's Christopher Walken doing here? Why is, why is his hair so wet? <laughs> and what is that suit he's wearing? Yeah, and just like, I think it was just, yeah, it seemed, once again, it's like one of those instances where they seem to pile on a whole bunch of stuff in one scene where they just like, let's just have this reporter who comes out of nowhere just ask all these intrusive questions and just have it a representation of how, uh, the media saw Jean Michel Basquiat at that point. Uh, just yeah, because they they could have done, they could have made this a uh, Schnabel could have made this a general thing throughout the movie. Just how the media, because like they constantly talk about how the media portrays it, but there's not exactly an idea of how the media portrays until that scene comes along. That very lengthy scene where. Uh, yeah, Walker just asks him a whole bunch of questions, and so yeah, that's the I guess that is just the, the idea of how the media was trying to go, uh, you know, go about uh, presenting Jean Michel Basquiat to the world. So. But I also saw that that was almost like a style of the director, is he didn't want to create like. A running theme with things he just created scenes that would overdo it with that theme I just kind of noticed that a little bit agreed one one scene that I actually thought was very over the top was when uh, Basquiat visits uh, Gary Oldman's house and it was just ridiculous. Yeah. Like, the decor... And, and originally, I, like, when I first watched the movie, I was a, a little confused at first. I was like, are they just, like, in a museum eating spaghetti? And I was like, no, this is just dude's house. Like, who has a house like that? Especially in New York. Well, part of the, you know, and you, it wasn't necessarily a house. It was just, like, a space that, uh... You know, this it's nothing like when you watch movies set in New York in the eighties and nineties. 
like people just lived in, in, in spaces. It wasn't necessarily apartments per se. It's like it's like the Jan Jackson Pleasure Principle video. <laughs> just rolling up, just just all dancing up and down this place. I'm like, she lives there. Just what is going on? Just so yeah. So, uh, so I'm, I'm assuming this like that was just the, just the idea that they were going for. That kind of makes sense. And uh, it's it's funny that you mentioned about uh, Christopher Walken's like wife being involved in casting. Because one question I had was why was Willem Dafoe in there for a hot second? I have no I, idea. Go ahead. Dude, you you can say that about most of the cast. <laughs> yeah, that is fair. Like, it's like, like like I was just watching the movie and I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> What's Tatum O'Neill doing in this thing? Just like what is, what is what is Paul Bartle showing up and just just like all these people sprinkled into the damn movie? So it's not like those movies. Those I've, these movies came out within the last five years, and they're like they're called like like they're like they're called like Valentine's Day or Christmas Day, and you'll just see the list that's like eight pages long of actors you know. It's like Christopher Walken, Ashton Kutcher. Everybody in the world that you know is in this movie. Yeah. And, and they'll just show up, and they'll be like a waiter, and, and they'll have a two-second conversation, and that'll be the that'll be the end for that. And you're like, what the fuck? Are you saying this Basquiat is the Miramax version of the Gary Marshall movie? <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're saying? Just, that's their idea? I, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm definitely saying the casting... Other than the the main actor, kind of felt like that a little bit. <laughs> well, I, I think it's also mostly because of just the cat. Like it, it's just, it's Julius Snobble, he's a very well known artist, so I'm assuming they called him a lot of favors. And uh, especially, I believe it's like his, his big breakthrough film. So just like, of course, he's gonna have all these different people show up and uh, just do big parts in it, and of course have uh, Parker pose it. Parker Posey in the movie because at that time it was the law, and uh, just you know just have all these different people start appearing in the film. Yeah, and Courtney Courtney Love was Big Pink, whose character uh, yeah. seemed like for the most part uh, completely unimportant and stuck in. Well, yeah, once I, I guess that was to show hey you know Bakhtiari had a wandering eye, and and it's funny because that movie you know that movie came out that year where Courtney Love decided to be a movie star so she just did like a whole set. She did that and she did Feely, uh, Minnesota I don't know if you saw that one. And then she did The People vs. Larry Flynn so it was like all of a sudden just like I guess Courtney Love's doing movies now. So. Yeah, I mean I, I understood the kind of idea of what Big Pink was supposed to represent but then when she shows up at the uh, exhibition and Gina's also there. That just yeah, seemed who, a little unrealistic, and that was yeah, one the, place who, where I thought it was just you know, a little too much drama. Yeah, who the yeah who the fucking writer? It was just like <laughs> was like how do you how did like you get like an invitation to her? And but that whole scene, that whole because that was supposed to be the big uh, uh, dramatic centerpiece where. You, you see how uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat is, is basically uh, uh, separating himself from the people who made him what he is to uh, hang out with Warhol and, and all the different people. And then, like, Michael Wincott, who basically, I don't know what the hell that dude was doing that movie. He had, like, a goddamn uh, you know, Civil War cap and kept saying the <laughs> N-word all the time. I'm like... Is he gay? He's not gay. I don't know what the hell happened, but uh, just, but apparently he's also based on a real person, Rene Ricard, who uh, you know uh, the, the very the very pretentious uh, narration in the uh, that that he speaks in the movie that actually based on an article I believe he did in art form, and so yeah so. Apparently, he served the purpose as well. I, I was baffled by his Civil War reenactment outfit as well. 
Because I did look up Renee Ricard, and I, I couldn't really find anything about wearing a Civil War outfit yeah. perpetually. So I guess that was just Schnabel's artistic touch, which maybe he, the maybe he film. really had a soft spot for the movie Gettysburg. <laughs> I think Gabe's figured it out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, while we're talking about biopics and movies that are based on a true story or inspired on a true story, what, Craig, are your favorite films in that subgenre? Uh, are you serious right now, man? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I was not. I don't even. I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm legitimately trying to think what were my favorite, what are my favorite biopics. And usually I don't like those uh, because of the same shit uh, Basquiat pulled. Because, you know, you don't want to be that guy who uh, watches a movie based on a. you know, based on a real life figure, and you go, know, "Oh, that didn't happen, or that didn't happen." It's just like, uh, uh, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, the social network count. Yeah, the social network counts. Yeah, yeah that's. I mean, that's that's a favorite of mine. I'm just, uh, yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, one of the reasons I actually posed that was uh, Basquiat is one of my favorites, and it got me kind of reflecting back, and one thing that I kept realizing was I don't tend to appreciate that genre as much for a lot of the reasons that you're saying. So it was like a tough question for me to answer, so I thought it would be interesting to pose on the show. But it's because, it's I mean, I've, there's been times I've written about the whole concept of biopics and how mostly they come out, uh, of course, during Oscar season. I, I, I once wrote how, you know, the road to Oscar gold is usually uh, made on some dead dude back. Mm-hmm. And just because, just, just, I remember like, uh, what was it? Uh, 2004, 2005. The uh, 2004 that was the year of uh, uh, Ray and uh, Kinsey and the Aviator <laughs> and just a lot. Uh, Mike D'Angelo, I believe, called, he called them uh, great man biopics. And just, you know, there's always seem to be uh, movies that come out uh, around that time that's just like based on the true story of some person. And uh, just just tries to make uh, tries to make a, a you know, dramatic cinematic stuff out this person's life, and you find and it's almost like you're like if you watch the movie and it makes you want to find out more about the person, and then you find out, uh, fortunately, sometimes uh, that you know the person's life was far more fascinating. Than the movie portrayed, then maybe I don't know. They just didn't have, have the rights to do stuff. I mean, like the uh, the artwork that uh, that Basquiat does in this movie is not exactly his because the state wouldn't allow uh, Julian Schnabel to use it. So Julian Schnabel had to go about making his own uh, reproductions of Basquiat stuff. So I mean, so this is mean, hard to think. That is a, a good question. Like, what uh, biopics actually did a good job of uh, representing? I mean, of course, you know, I, 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 the more we talk about it, I kind of think uh, anytime um, Scorsese has uh, handled a uh, real life character, whether it be Raging Bull or Goodfellas or even Wolf of Wall Street. Um, you know, those are usually well done, fact based biopic stories. You're definitely right there. 
what about you, Gabe? Which are your favorites? Um, I have a couple. I liked Will Smith's portrayal of Muhammad Ali and Ali. Oh yeah, that that was yeah, that And um, I'm a big hockey fan, so I'm a big fan of um, the movie Miracle. Oh yeah, that's that is uh, yeah, that's a uh, very underappreciated film. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that. Kurt Russell did a good job in that. He did. I mean, if we're going that way, we're going like under really. Underrated Disney distributed uh, sporting related films. I mean, uh, a couple of years ago they had that Queen and Cotway that uh, that nobody really saw, starring you know uh, David. It was about the uh, uh, like the African uh, uh, chess prodigy. Yeah, see oh, that movie. Oh yeah, I, I I remember hearing about this movie. Yeah, that's that's a real good movie. I'm about to check that one out. Might have to do an episode on that. Of course. Uh, so, speaking of um, Kurt Russell, uh, I, I liked Deepwater Horizon a lot, actually. And one of the reasons was because he was in it, and I thought his kind of side character did a great job. One of my favorites was actually Wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Hold on, man. Wait, Kurt Russell did Deepwater Horizon? Yeah. That, that's a Mark Wahlberg film. Yeah, he was uh, he was like one of the I think he was like the foreman on the oil rig or something. Yeah. That's actually a really good movie, and it has a fantastic cast. If you haven't well, seen I, it, you should check it out. I, I've seen it. It's just that, like, all I remember is Mark Wahlberg throwing people off the damn rig because <laughs> that's what Mark Wahlberg does now make. <laughs> Uh, movies where he actually slips himself into the film and somehow saves everybody. <laughs> like in Patriots Day, he played on this character. Apparently, uh, figured out the Boston bombing. Oh, that person didn't. That person didn't exist. But he somehow uh, saved everybody. So it's just like it's like every time I see Mark Wahlberg. So basically, every time Mark Wahlberg. Peter Berg get together, you know that it's mostly gonna be uh, Mark Wahlberg uh, and, and his arms uh, saving everybody all over the place. So. <laughs> it's totally true. This is incredibly accurate, but I, I did like um, Kurt Russell in that, and John Malkovich did a fantastic job as one of the BP representatives. So, I, I actually thought it was worth watching just for their performances, but Mark Wahlberg is kind of trash in, in Deepwater Horizon. I thought The Founder was really good. About the, um, the, the up, the rise of the horrible fast food chain McDonald's. Yes. <laughs> but it was, it was a well done film, and it kind of taught me a lot about the franchise, which I was actually slightly familiar with, notably that McDonald's dabbles in like property, and I knew that simply because one of my old uh, managers used to work at McDonald's, and he would kind of talk a lot about what he learned about their business. Uh, I also thought Hidden Figures was a pretty good movie, but um, oh yeah. Uh, and I think one thing about that that I loved was that it was a story I, I hadn't heard of and probably wouldn't have until the movie came out. And it was also just really well acted. Well, that's that's why I loved it, especially... First off, I was looking on um, on Google to see if... Like, her, holy crap, Kurt Russell is in Deepwater Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> like, where the hell... I thought, man, that was, where the hell was I? I thought... I, once again, Mark Wahlberg in his arm just really <laughs> took over the whole damn film. But I'm going I, in with the deep cuts. <laughs> yeah, but I uh, uh, we were talking about Hidden Figures. I love uh, you know, when, especially when that movie came out and uh, just hearing uh, I'll just say hearing uh, white people talk about the movie because <laughs> like it's also there's also a sense of just uh, 
anger and frustration. Like, how did I not know about this? And it's like, well, just, you know, the black folk, and usually, you know, the, the contributions of black people get often overlooked and neglected. It's just, and it's just, just funny just hearing people, you know, of, of uh, the, the pale skin nature uh, really take a shine to this movie, which they did, and it was a big hit. So it was just uh, fun hearing their reactions. And that was a Disney film, was it? No, it was uh, Warner Brothers. Oh, okay. But, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I was very uh, pleased with a lot of the reactions by both critics and fans when Hidden Figures came out. So, with that, why don't we go ahead and rate this? Alright. So, I, I picked this. Uh, I'll go first. This was a movie I'd seen just a few months before we re-recorded this episode. And even though some of the characters aren't necessarily accurate in this film, I and it, has, it gets a little too artsy at times, I still appreciate the way that the character is portrayed in a way that it made me as a viewer want to kind of learn more on my own. It was very well acted, even though a lot of the characters, uh, especially Willem Dafoe as, quote, the electrician, just kind of seemed stuck in randomly. And I thought just from a technical perspective, it flowed really well. I liked the soundtrack. So I'll go with a four. Craig, you want to go next? Uh, two. And why two? Well, uh, I think I told you why two. Just basically, uh, it's you know, as I established earlier, just uh, look. As I said earlier, I mean, it wasn't uh, that exciting a film. I it felt. Uh, tiresome in some areas. It's just a uh, uh, very uh, just. There's a lot of inaccuracies, and I just felt. And, and as uh, Gabe so brilliantly put it, it was just mostly uh, Gabe uh, Julian Schnabel uh, uh, breaking his arm, almost to jack off and, and stuff like that. And just I just was I. I didn't have basically. I, I'll, I'll tell you. I didn't have a good uh, time watching this movie and just like it really you know it really it was one of those films where it just like oh, I gotta see this shit again and uh, just just plow through it and uh, so I mean just I, if you, but if the thing about it is if you if you are interested in knowing more about Basquiat I strongly suggest actually just read about it or if you if you want to go the movie route, like I said, there's the documentary Boom for Real uh, that came out earlier this year, which which kind of makes an interesting case how Basquiat isn't necessarily that wasn't that important to the scene. It's kind of this on the fringe character, that, but it's like a much more bustling scene. But he's almost like this this wandering zealot like figure. And uh, I mean, there's plenty of other document, there's other documentaries about him that you can see. Like, at, like at this point, just like if you just want to uh, know more about a person and want to watch a movie about, him, just watch a friggin' documentary. They usually get it right. So. Yeah, boom for real. I saw that came out last year, but I have yet to see it. It's on my yeah. list of, of things to watch soon, though. Yeah, Gabe. Um, I'll give this movie a three, um, mostly because it it taught me about something I didn't necessarily know about, and I always enjoy learning about new things. Even though um, it was the director kind of took things in his direction, and that was not good. That's kind of why it's not it didn't step up past that for me, because I could see the director kind of doing things like that. And I am not a big fan of them taking so much artistic integrity. In in some cases, when you're not involving real people's lives, that's okay. But I feel like when you do the biopic and you kinda and you turn it into something about you, 
that just shows how much you love yourself. That's why I gave it a three. That's a fair assessment. Uh, and, and real quickly, just it's funny we've just been talking about uh, just talking about all the the biopics, and it really did make me want to go back and see if there's any biopics that I truly enjoyed. There's there's actually several. I mean, um, we didn't talk about uh, Ed Wood, where Johnny Depp played Ed Wood, Tim Burton's uh, biopic. Yeah, on Ed Wood. Or uh, here's here's a movie that I know is not that accurate, but it like the way it was handled was so good, and also had uh, the actual person's uh, stamp of approval, which is uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which is uh, George Clooney's first movie that was about uh, Chuck Barris and how he wrote this fake uh, biography about him being an assassin. I've never heard of this movie, and it sounds extremely interesting. Yeah, yeah I, well, I, I'm not familiar at all. Well, that's actually that was another Miramax movie, and they buried the shit out that movie. I mean, I'll never forget. Like, they didn't have a website for it or anything, and just like they just buried it. But it was, like, it's such a great film. And it's, like, it's my still my favorite George Clooney movie because just like um, he just goes on, like with his with his film with his directing. With directorial stuff, he's always hit or miss. But like that, his first one is still um, that was is written by Charlie Kaufman. So there's a lot. So that's something right there. And another film that I'm a big fan of that I don't know if you guys saw was uh, Auto Focus, which is about a uh, with Paul Schrader, who uh, you know is getting a lot of accolades now for First Reform. He did a biopic on uh, Bob Crane. The star of Hogan's Heroes, and he had uh, Greg Kinnear play Bob Crane and talked about his, his, his whole descent into uh, just uh, making uh, you know amateur porn. And it's a really uh, well done. It's a it's a very it's a very uh, you know unsettling film. I my favorite. I I remember I saw it and I would tell people I didn't touch my penis for a week after watching that movie. Because that's how, cause that's how dark and, and, and unsettling that film was. So yeah, those are those are three films I'm a big fan of. I haven't seen any of those. One that you made me remember though was that I forgot about was The Informant. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. Steven Soderbergh's uh, film uh, that Matt Damon did. That that's a that's a very weird kooky film. Because uh, it's just like it's it's kind of a comedy, and he had all these comics comedians play serious roles. Another one of his whole like his his uh, weird exercises where like he's going to make a comedy, but uh, have Matt play Matt Damon play the comedic lead, and he'll have like Joel McHale and Tommy Smothers and all these different comedians do serious. Uh, supporting roles and stuff. Yeah, Patton Oswalt was in it too in a, yeah. in a serious role. I think that might be my favorite Matt Damon film, in fact. Yeah. Uh, that was a very solid film, and it's ridiculously under the radar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's, it's quietly eked out there, another Soderbergh film for him. Well, that's our show for the evening. So, thanks again for listening. If you haven't already done so, check us out on iTunes, leave us a rating, and subscribe. And also, go to our Facebook page and give us a like. Until next time, this podcast has been great, but it'll never be the greatest American hero. Believe it or not. (laughs) I'm floating on air. (laughs) Never thought I'd... I never thought I could feel so free. <laughs> Flying away on a wing at a prayer. Who could it be? Believe, Believe it or not, it or not it's just, just me. me. <laughs> I, I had that 45 and everything, bitch. So just like you, I was a great American hero all the way. That's impressive. Moa yeah. has actually never seen The Greatest American Hero. I'm, I'm missing out. It comes on every Saturday on Heroes and Icons. That, that channel, so you can watch it. Oh, 
Oh, I don't know if I have that, but I'm sure I could procure a copy. Yeah. In some fashion. <laughs> that probably shouldn't be recorded. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I believe it's on Hulu, so we can probably get it. Oh, I actually subscribed to that purely for Handmaid's Tale. Hell yeah. That's a good one. <laughs>